Let's just let's try to count again. Yeah, we're I just, will count. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Five. Oh, Ooh. that's a long lag then somehow. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Drowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are joined by returning champion guest, Todd Peterson. Welcome, Todd. It's great to be here and to be a champion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, if you go back through some of our earlier uh, draft episodes, you I, I believe you're undefeated. Is that right, Todd Peterson? Mount Rushmore Fear and uh, and, and Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe draft. draft, yeah. It's true. true it's no like record. it's like being at uh, 275 in a bowling a 300 game. Now I'm just nervous. <laughs> Very nervous. That's right. Well, no need to be nervous about tonight's discussion because we're not doing a draft. Well, we are doing a draft, but it won't be a winner or a loser draft uh, because our producer Andrew is actually going to be participating in the discussion. We don't have a judge. So This is what in Spanish we call an amistoso. It's just a friendly. It's a friendly match. Uh, and what we're doing uh, is we are fulfilling the request of one of our new patrons, Henry, who is my nephew. Uh, and he asked that we discuss some of our favorite comic books and graphic novels. I think he kind of wants a reading list for the summer. <laughs> he's, uh, he's big into comics right now. Uh, and he, he asked if we could just kind of hit some of our favorites. And I immediately thought... Todd Peterson should probably be on because he is a comic book expert as well. And uh, then my nephew Henry also said he really likes when Todd Peterson is a guest on our podcast. So, <laughs> As Glenn Fry once said, the heat is on. Yes. So we have uh, Todd and Todd and myself and Andrew are all going to be naming our top three and maybe if there's time for uh, graphic novels and maybe a brief discussion after each as to why we like those. And then at the end we can do the classic bring out your dead of any picks that we were kind of thinking about, but we didn't make, we'll just name drop those in kind of a lightning round at the very end. Uh, in order to help with the confusion, I am thinking that we will go Todd Peterson first, then myself, then Todd Mack, then Andrew. And we'll just keep going in that order uh, through our picks and as much as we can remember, we will always throw on the last name <laughs> to Todd when we're when we're talking to you guys. Does that sound good to everyone? Fantastic. All right. Well, right before we hear from Todd Peterson and his first pick, I would just like to remind listeners that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. And you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles to choose from await you. That is a lot of options, people. You should go and take part in that. All right, Todd Peterson, what is one of your very favorite comic books and graphic novels? I'm going to lead weird and start <laughs> with Chris Ware's Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth. That is a, uh, I've read it, it's a good choice. It's it's up there. As, as much as we could say that comic books and graphic novels have a canon, I think that's in there. Agreed. It's, uh, for years, uh, I taught a class uh, at SUU called Visual Narratives, and this was the, the, the linchpin. It was the hardest thing most of the my students ever read, just out of pure difficulty. I mean, it makes you relearn how to read a comic. You can't just do your standard left, right, um, and down stuff. It's it's as close as I would say to having like Proust in comics. 
<laughs> um, so if, if we had to go for the, if I could only have one of these things with me forever, it would be this one. Uh, I have reread it maybe more than any other graphic novel, 10, maybe 12 times. And each time I keep feeling like I'm starting over fresh. Wow. Um, I, it's unbelievable to me how complex it is, how amazing the depth of the story is with such simple illustration. And it's such a departure from what I liked as a young man when I was, uh, gosh, 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, I was a John Byrne guy. I mean, <laughs> that was where it began and ended for me for comic art. And so that and that lineage back into Neil Adams and uh, so forth and all that Silver Age art, that was kind of what I thought was the best. But this is a really big – this was a big departure for me personally to take something that's more in a graphic design or an illustration style than in a standard comic style. Just – it's just amazing. I mean I can't even start talking about it because the story is so complex the images are so complex. The story is so complex. But it's really about a weird kid um, and this, this weird kid's life. It does some amazing things with time using um, flashbacks inside of flashbacks. Just narratively, it's super complex. And I hope, you know, this wouldn't – I don't think it should put anybody off because each – anybody can approach Jimmy Corrigan, I think, because the surfaces are so delightful. But what you can do is you can circle back and loop back and go back and go back and it stays rich like like the best of the best of the great books. So Jimmy Corrigan, smartest kid on earth. Actually, I would, if I could say all of Chris Ware, I would say that. But <laughs> yes, it's um, it's getting to be a pretty big deal to get all of Chris Ware's work in one place. Yeah. Um, oh. One thing I like about Jimmy Corrigan is that it is simultaneously incredibly simple to look at, but also incredibly experimental with the form of comics. Um, cause the illustrations themselves are, are like a step above stick figure in some instances. Uh, but the, and, and there's just really clean backgrounds and, uh, crisp line work everywhere. Um, so it's, it's very, um, it feels really simple to look, look at, but I don't think it was really simple to, to produce for Chris Ware. But then the, the way that it uses the comic book form to tell the story is, um, something I haven't seen anywhere else. It's amazing. And, and, I forgot to mention, there's these amazing moments of genealogy, fictional genealogy in there, uh, which are also, I think, a kind of new way of telling a story. It's something, you know, many people that do genealogy and family history work understand a family tree is a kind of narrative. But in this, Chris Ware really pushes it to say, look at all these things and unexpected connections you can find once you start to visualize family relationships. Um, it's, it's really great. And it's something that wears carried forward into the building stories. Um, uh, I don't even know if you want to call it a book. I mean, yeah. a box of treats <laughs> yes. that, that comes from that thing. Um, but it really is something that he really seems to be dedicated to is this, this way of mapping family relationships with narrative in some ways, but then also with descendancy and genealogy. It's just, it's really cool. It's just, it's fantastic. That's my top pick. Yeah, real quick, uh, just for any listeners who were maybe a little confused by your reference, could you explain uh, Building Stories and why that's not a book? <laughs> if it's possible to explain <laughs> building it real stories quick. Building Stories um, is this amazing thing, and I taught it the last time I taught visual narratives, uh, and it really just blew some minds. What it is is it's a very large box. I would say large in the way that if you took two Monopoly games and stacked them on top of each other, 
you'd have a box that size. And and it's illustrated all along the outside. It's 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 lush and gorgeous. But then you open it up, and on the inside, what you really have are a whole bunch of smaller books, floppy comics, pamphlets, sheets. Uh, what else? Um, I mean, just this whole box full of stuff like you'd sort of gone into your grandparents' basement and found a box of stuff from the past. And so you can kind of, in true postmodern fashion, read that stuff in any order that you wanted to. You, and, and each time you do it in, in its own way, the story, it inflects the story in a different way. It's really, really fascinating. But uh, it's, it's, it's weird enough that it didn't make my cut. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a strong first pick. For my first pick, and I, I hope Henry isn't just hoping for a list of superheroes, because mine's not going to be a superhero. <laughs> a couple guys. Mine will be. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And I've got, I, I will be getting to superheroes, but this is a book that I just finished teaching an entire semester on, and it was just on this book, and it's one that we talked about on this podcast before. It's Mouse. Uh, you're going to steal one from me. Um, and It's our first steal of the night. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, even though we're not declaring winner or loser, we did say that if anyone picks yours, you have to have a substitute ready to slide in. Mouse for me is an example of a story that I can't imagine being told in any other form. Uh, it really highlights the strengths of the combo form. And I am similar to what Todd Peters was just saying. Like I grew up, well, I'm like one generation later. I grew up with, uh, Jim Lee as my main comic book artist. <laughs> um, and, uh, which is like classic iconic superhero art of hyper musculature bodies. If, if you're wondering a uh, quick description generally and, uh, Malice is absolutely not that. And it's not anything related to superheroes. It is the story of a Holocaust, um, survivors, broken relationship with his son. Uh, and the son is the one that creates mouse. And so it's, it's simultaneously biographical, autobiographical, historical, and fictionalized because he makes the characters in the stories. Uh, the Jews are all drawn as mice. Uh, the Nazis are drawn as cats. Um, and there's a number of other elements that he does. Uh, and it's just a really fascinating book. And you start to like think about these ideas of like, is this fiction or nonfiction? And you can have an entire semester long class where you start to kind of explore these ideas. And you have students who write some really insightful and wonderful papers that even give you insights into new issues that you hadn't even been thinking about. Um, and it's, the, the history of this book is interesting and how it was made, but also just the book by itself, I think, is incredibly rich as a text uh, to try and uh, digest. And again, I think it's one that I, I can't imagine it being adapted or being told in any other form than the comic book. Uh, in, in the class discussion, we read a lot of interviews with our Spiegelman, who's the, the creator of Mouse, and he talked about how he was like immediately getting offers for animated films and other things, and you can't imagine it. And I realized partway through the course, the movie that needs to be made is about his experience making Mouse. It doesn't need to be Mouse as an adaptation, because once you start to break down, it was a 13-year journey for him from when he first... Uh, started recording his father's memoirs uh, to when the final, you know, final uh, chapter of Mouse was was published was 13 years, and it's this incredible journey that's all in there as well. Um, but but again, the book by itself certainly stands up. So Mouse is my first pick. That's a great pick. Agreed. That was going to be my first pick. <laughs> <laughs> so now now that one of mine has been stolen, now I'm like. Now I feel like I have to be very strategic about this. Uh, my my first pick, I'm hoping that the judges will let it fly. It's not fiction, uh, but it's one of the coolest comics that I've ever read. And this is uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. That's totally which is, fine. Yeah. Which is a comic book about comic books. Uh, 
and and how to read them and how to understand them. And this was really good for me as I was because I never read comics as a kid. Um, I've just gotten into them over the last couple of years, and it was really nice for me to be able to read a book that kind of taught me, first of all, why comics are so cool, and second of all, how I could uh, read them and get more out of them, and the whole entire book is written uh, as a comic book. So it's, it's really cool. Um, Scott McCloud, Understanding Comics. I don't know if either of you have anything to say about this. Uh, when I, I read fight it. for it. Yeah. Read it. It's, it's in. It, it counts. It was on my list of substitutes uh, okay. for the draft. And when I assigned my students mouse, that was the other text they had was Understanding Comics. Uh, so they were... <laughs> uh, I, I think that's probably one of the most assigned comic books in all of college history because um, it gets used in graphic design courses. It gets used for uh, literature courses that are touching on comics. It gets used just all over the place. Um, it's it's the textbook on comics. Yeah, and I mean, if you're like a, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't assign understanding comics to my to my kid, you know, my little kids. But if you're an adult or an older kid. Um, and you're really interested in getting into this and, and you're thinking like, what's the big deal about comics? And, you know, why is it that apparently otherwise smart people seem to be really interested in reading comics? <laughs> um, then I would, I would really suggest uh, getting understanding comics and, and, and working your way through it because it's really, really helpful. So, I, re- I read it when I was a teenager. Like yeah. I was in, I was pretty young in high school and I read it and, and it was great. Like I understood a lot of important things for art history classes that I took later on because of understanding comics, cool. um, especially postmodernism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he has a really nice chapter on some of that. Cool. My pick is also not a superhero comic. Don't worry. My next pick is going to be a superhero comic, Henry. If you're listening to this, you're like, what is going on? Uh, <laughs> but I... We have to get like we have to get the professor out of all of us first, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me teach you something, and then I will. <laughs> I selected for my first pick the uh, adaptation that Marvel did of the Wizard of Oz, uh, which was the the text was adapted by Eric Shanauer, and all of the illustrations were from Scotty Young, and it made his career. Oh, Scotty Young is amazing. And, and yeah. I've heard that this is really good. I have not read it. It is really good. I hope that at some point they'll do an omnibus of, cause they did, I think six of the books, um, adapted like this. And, and here's the story of Scotty Young. <laughs> so he was working for Marvel doing their, their mainstream stuff and mostly just doing, you know, a little bit here and there. And they said, we've got this book. We really want you to be the person that, that does the art for this adaptation of Wizard of Oz. And he's like, ah, the illustrated classics don't really go anywhere. That's not going to make any difference in my career. I don't really want to. And they came back to him again. They said, we really want you to do this. And like, we, we'd be happy to let you, you know, work at your pace and, and let you work on another title. And he's like, really guys, I don't know. And they, and they came again and they said, pick any title you want to work on and you can do that. And then at your own pace, please do this wizard of Oz adaptation <laughs> because there was no one else that they could think of that could possibly do it. He has a very whimsical, almost sketchy, Style and this helped define his style yeah. um, and how he does it now, and it's it's absolutely charming and engaging and enchanting in all the ways that Wizard of Oz should be. Yeah, we'll have a, an example of his art in the show notes. It's really hard to give a good description. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of 
uh, think think more along the lines of Calvin and Hobbes than superhero comics. Yeah, <laughs> um, for, but at the same time, maybe a little more surreal still. Yeah, it's definitely he is his own. Like his style is his own. He's not aping or or um, imitating anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love his style. It is fantastic. He does superhero stuff with it too. That is just incredibly unique to to see his style in that. Yeah, and and so, this, yeah, Todd. In the pantheon of Wizard of Oz stuff, would you put this above or below Return to Oz? <laughs> Above, Are you, you're okay. you're referring to the uh, the, the weird kids, the, the movie that made an appearance in our weird children's yes. entertainment draft. Um, I, as an adaptation, it is more true than the film is to the books. I would say, cool. and and it's it is itself like it's not doing anything to copy the films. It makes a point of being different from the films. And so it's really a, a great experience with The Wizard of Oz, which I think is a great story that needed this adaptation. And it's it's really in my top stuff. I recommend it to people all the time, and I've lent it out to people frequently. Cool. All right, so round one, we had uh, Jimmy Corgan, Smartest Boy on Earth. We had Mouse. We had Understanding Comics. And we had Wizard of Oz. Todd Peterson, what are we going to have to start off with round two? Round two. Uh, I'm going to broach superheroes now for this one. And uh, uh-huh. make everything uh, happy. And I'm going to pick Batman Year One. And the this is a tough one for me. The Dark Knight Returns was a, sort of a seminal turn for me in um, comic books. Where, remember how I explained I was a John Byrne guy? This is the moment where I kind of went into that more expressive style from Frank Miller. And so I thought I would probably never like a comic that he wrote but did not draw. Um, but I found the the work, Mazzuccelli's work in Batman Year One to be absolutely ideal for that moment. And I really think that it ushered into, into comics another moment where we started seeing differences in style like uh, David Aha and uh, um, Jock and... Bill Sienkiewicz and all these other kinds of artists that were really taking this sort of flattened expressive style and putting it into play. And I think nobody has done it better uh, in a superhero comic than uh, David Mazzuccelli in that Batman year one. Um, I also love it because it was such an obvious starting point for Nolan's Batman pictures for building the story um, and pulling its kind of mythos and, and world into the movies um, and I think that most casual viewers of the Nolan Batman films wouldn't have kind of known that. But there was so much in it about the relationship with Gordon and what it even means to be Batman that sort of came up and, and, and came out of that series. So that's my next pick, Batman Year One. And I think Is that, is that the same Mazzuccelli that did uh, a serious a serious polyp? Polyp? Yeah. Yes. yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think that retelling of Batman's origin is the first that had the breaking strand of pearls, which is a great symbol of order becoming chaos, um, you know, and, and, you know, as it's happening his life. But it's also an image that filmmakers have been unable to leave alone <laughs> since. <laughs> Especially our friend yeah. Zack Snyder. Yes. <laughs> Every uh, filmmaker feels the need. To, it's like their Hamlet. I need to capture this scene better than any previous interpretation <laughs> of uh, Bruce Wayne's parents being killed and the mother's strand of pearls shattering, uh, you know, falling apart. Was there a film version of Batman Year One that I saw on Netflix, possibly? There's, yeah, yes. there's an animated. Mm-hmm. It has been yeah. adapted. 
I think I saw that. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, there's a lot of good Batman out there, and that's uh, one of the top uh, picks for Batman. All right. Uh, I'm also going to go with a superhero. So I don't know. Are, are rounds going to have themes? Maybe we'll have themes for our rounds. <laughs> go ahead. I'm ready for mine for this round, okay. it, if you don't steal it. It is um, an X-Men uh, pick. Uh, and okay. Growing up, X-Men were my favorite, uh, and that... You know, hasn't really waned. I wrote my dissertation on the X-Men and published a couple books on them. And the uh, one of my favorite eras, though, is the early Claremont-Byrne collaboration era. So we've mentioned John Byrne a couple times. He's an iconic superhero artist. Um, but he's not just an artist. He is a comic book writer. He often will write and draw his own things. And he had uh, an era, a period when he was collaborating with, with Chris Claremont, who wrote and defined X-Men for, for I think 16 years was his run. Like if you, any adaptation of X-Men is owes a huge debt to Claremont and Byrne. The X-Men from the 1960s were not the X-Men. We know from our 1990s cartoons and our film adaptations. Um, but my favorite storyline within that is, uh, the dark Phoenix saga. And there's a lot of good work that happens before that. And a lot of good work that happens after that, but that is, uh, one of the high points, uh, of their run. And it's really, Fascinating story. It has a lot of the things I love about the X-Men in that you're getting uh, these mutant issues on Earth, but there's also this crazy outer space element. Uh, it's one of the craziest. They just drop them in. Yeah. The, there's I love the it. Alien empires. Um, there's godlike forces that are inhabiting Jean Grey's body, and the rest of the universe is panicking about this human having all this power here on Earth um, and all these other things. And so it just has grand space opera action like star Wars while still having these earthbound X-Men characters that are dealing with all, um, the, the meat of the mutant metaphor that really, uh, Claremont and Byrne are responsible for adding to, uh, to the series. So my second pick is the dark Phoenix saga. I'm going to say it's a good thing that you went before me because you, that is now two steals in a row, <laughs> two picks, two steals. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry, Todd. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to, <laughs> Take and you know, point. you know how limited my <laughs> my repertoire is here. Like, <laughs> well, I'm gonna uh, be scraping the bottom of the barrel pretty soon. Well, I, I guess I've um, recommended a lot of your comic book reading to you. Yes. So, I guess it's, so it's a list of your recommendations, my favorites be. that I recommended to you, have made the list of some of your favorites. Yeah, uh, I love Dark Phoenix. I think it's pretty pretty great. Let's just hope this helps Hank prioritize that anytime something's doubled up. <laughs> That it should just move up in the slot. Because all the young people, (laughs) you young people these days, need to go back and read Claremont and Burns' work. It's really, really really good. That's going to be my comics grandpa move. And to say, you know, (laughs) that that you kids these days, you don't know comics. Because they really did, that whole run really set that up. I mean, I still think regularly about um, the firestorming of Japan segment that run. It was like 116 maybe in that yeah. era. As, as a 46-year-old man, I still think about those panels. Unbidden. They just come to me. Well, and, <laughs> and in the Dark Phoenix saga, there's a lot of panels that are iconic and and you know were adapted directly into the animated series in the 90s which is where i know it best but you know if i go back and look at it and it's like oh i remember this shot from the cartoon because they recreated it because it was perfect todd peterson just <laughs> you saying that um some of those panels like come to your mind unbidden it reminded me of a conversation i had with my wife in the car where it was it was a long drive i, w- I was in the zone driving you know and and she just all of a sudden said what are you thinking about and i said 
lightsabers. (laughs) 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 And I I was watching the road, but I could feel the look of confused disappointment coming (laughs) from the passenger seat. (laughs) Like, well, of all things, why are you thinking about lightsabers? And it's just one of those things that just pops into your head like panels from X-Men comics. In this, we might all be alone. I mean, to, uh, sharing it together, but alone with our companions. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, Todd, Mac, you're, have you made your pick? You said I stole your pick, but you didn't make one, right? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. I'm ready to make a next okay. pick. So for my uh, third pick, I'm going. I'm sticking with Batman, and I'm going with uh, Batman: Court of Owls by uh, Scott Snyder, and drawn by Greg Capullo. This is there was a there was a sale of Batman comics on Comicsology uh, a couple of years ago, and I called you, Joe, and I said, "What do you recommend?" Uh, it was when I read uh, Dark Knight Returns, I read Long Halloween, and I read uh, this. Uh, Court of Owls, and by far, I liked Court of Owls the best. I think the art is, like, breathtaking. <laughs> so good. Um, and the story is really engaging. I love this version of Batman. So, yeah, this is my highest recommended Batman comic, uh, Court of Owls. We talked about it in episode, I'm not sure, but it'll be in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> the three of us, actually. The four of us talked about, uh, talked about Court of Owls. Couldn't agree more. Strong so that's my pick. I prefer the long Halloween, but I'll allow quarter vowels. <laughs> I was just thinking about quarter okay. vowels, and it has my favorite Alfred. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Cool. And you know, I never thought I would have a favorite Alfred. <laughs> How many of you are immediately like cycling through saying favorite Alfred, favorite Alfred? I'm, I'm <laughs> leaning towards Batman the Animated Series. I thought that, but I don't like his look as much as I like yeah, the other. But his attitude I is... Like Michael, I like uh, Michael Caine Ooh, as Alfred. In the... really... I don't mind Alfred in the Batman and Son, Grant Morrison. He has some good okay. moments. Um, Nobody's going to pick uh, Jeremy Irons? You know, no. I actually really did. That was like the only part that I really liked. <clears throat> I liked Wonder Woman smiling a lot. That was my high point of that film. <laughs> We have to move on. Our patrons know us. how you and I feel about <laughs> yes. this. Sorry, sorry. Okay, yes. Uh, Andrew, we'll get lost. I'll, I'll drive it away from Batman. Okay. Um, so this is a collection that is really responsible for a lot of things going on in superhero films right now because it's responsible for Guardians of the Galaxy, which means it's responsible for the attitude in Suicide Squad and um, a lot of other things. It's called Annihilation. It's from 2008, and it reinvented the Marvel cosmic characters. Like, basically to a T. Like, every single one of them got a revamp or a retelling or was reborn in this series uh, in one form or another. And it's great. And there's a lot of really good comics in there, and you can buy the collections. Just look for Annihilation, and you'll get it. You'll get space opera Marvel comics. Yeah. And, uh, you're the you're 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 totally into the Marvel cosmic stuff. I I have been it, so Abnett and Lanning kind of like wrote all of this stuff, and they're kind of on the outs now, which <laughs> they, is unfortunate. They, don't they were a lot of people's favorite collaborators. Yeah, they were they were a really strong collaborative team, and they recreated Star Lord. They recreated Groot and Rocket Raccoon and Drax and Gamora. Nova yeah, was but, was rebuilt. I mean, the team in the Guardians of the Galaxy film 
was put together by Abnett and Lanning in their... In Annihilation. In, in Annihilation. Or, or in the aftermath of it. It may have been Annihilation yeah. Conquest when it really came yeah. together. But, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy had existed as a Marvel property before then, but it was absolutely nothing at all Mm-mm. like what is in it Guardians of the Galaxy. It was set in the year 3000. It had people from different planets that were all in our solar system. It was a whole mess. Yeah. But the current iteration of it and, and the current definition of it and the design, the style, um, all came from them, and it's... It's it's a good standalone story, and if you want to see a little bit of Marvel's space stuff and get away from the Fantastic Four and and Iron Man and Captain America, then this is a really good choice. It's a strong core, cool. uh, strong choice. I have the hardcovers of that one. Me too. <laughs> and they have like look at the cover gallery for it because the covers uh, in Annihilation and Conquest, especially, are really good and define a lot of stylistic choices that went into. The Guardians of the Galaxy, but we're also their very own thing. Like, Star-Lord's Mask was created in 2008. Yeah. Um, and do you know, is this available on the Marvel... Unlimited? I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Um, it might not be compiled as Annihilation. It might be the individual miniseries all I spread apart. I'm but, checking. But the hardcover collection is is all all put together and you get to read the miniseries for Drax and then you read yeah. someone else's miniseries and then it all starts coming together as they fight this onslaught of galactic annihilation. It's called yeah. the annihilation wave, right? Yeah. It's, it's an alternate universe is running out of space because our universe is expanding. So they decide to fight back and they just unleash hordes of mostly insectoid alien, monster a- alien and monster armies. Like- and and they just start attacking, and then all these cosmic space heroes have to fight back, and it's really <laughs> and they just like have to band together, and they all hate each other. <laughs> so, but it's like it's 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 this or the universe. <laughs> Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest are both available in uh, Marvel Unlimited uh, in the all comic right. events area. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Uh, well, we're uh, through round two. We're ready for a. Let's take a halftime break. Okay. And I just want to make a quick plug for our uh, Amazon affiliate affiliation. And I was perusing the list of things that people have bought. Guess what is uh, number two right now on our list? I, I don't know. Is it number Big two. Trouble yeah. in Little China? It is Big Trouble in Little <laughs> yeah. China. The Blu-ray. <laughs> the Blu-ray, even. Yeah, somebody purchased uh, Big Trouble in Little China Blu-ray. So this is just uh, this is universal. It's karma. It's come we, back. We appreciate that you used our link to do it. Yes. Yes. And what is our thank link, you, Thank you, thank you. It is uh, com slash Amazon. If you go there and make any purchases, then we get a little kickback from it. And thank you to whoever purchased uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I am gonna, I, I'm just hoping that it's the same person that purchased uh, Spaceballs on Blu-ray also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Anyway. Thank so, you, listeners, for all of your support uh, through Amazon. It makes a big difference for us. All of the comics that we've been discussing, you could purchase through Amazon if any are particularly standing out to you. You can you can find them there, and if you use that link, it helps us a little bit to keep the lights on, keep our web space hosted, <laughs> keep our uh, feeds going out to you. So thank you for everyone who is using that link. All right. Uh, third round. So, so round two, we had uh, Batman Year One, The Dark Phoenix Saga, The Court of Owls, and... Marvel Annihilation. Two Marvel, two DC. Yeah. All right. Uh, Todd Peterson, let's get through uh, another round of recommendations for listener Henry. All right. I'm going to stay in the superhero zone for one more round uh, and go to a place that's really weird. Hulk Gray. 
Oh. I haven't good always choice. liked the you know that whole the whole color thing. It, it hasn't always worked for me, but um the Hulk origin is one of those ones that's deep, deep, deep for me. Um it seems like almost the perfect origin story. It it wasn't one that evolved into itself like Batman's, you know, it was just there in totality at the at the at the, at the moment of inception, right? It just was there. Um, and so it hasn't borne out really well in retellings, um, you know, in the Marvel's... I don't think they filmed a true adaptation of that, of that origin. Oh, no. They've always modified it, and it, and it kind of sucks when they modify it. <laughs> and, yeah, I always ask myself, why? I mean, it's such a fantastic, it's so visual, it has so many opportunities, it's so metaphorical. But what I loved about Hulk Gray is that it kept that true, and then it layered some things on there with a frame narrative and um, Doc Sampson and some other things like that. I thought was worked out really well. But it's um, I wish a lot of titles would do that kind of. In addition to it being a reboot, it was kind of a, a point of embarking. Like you could go get into Hulk stories as a as a young boy, like my you know eleven year old or whatever. You could put them on that and launch them into Hulk, and they would understand it. They would get a sense of the essences of the story of Hulk. Um, and I'm not always, um, there with the art. Is it, uh, I'm gonna screw this up. It's Tim, Tim Sale, Sale, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that his style works with everything, but it works so great with Hulk because it's so grotesque. And there's some yeah. amazing moments of Hulk in silhouette when he's sort of peaceful and in repose and, and about ready to kind of, shift back to Banner, and it's actually really, really moving and lyrical, um, that artwork, and I think it works really, really well. Um, a lot of Hulk artists really just want to turn Hulk into Bane, you know, and it's just like, you know, more and more and more, and I love it when he's a clumsy, you know, this big block of granite kind of monster rather than, I don't know, like I said, Bane or like The Rock or something that's just, just you know, <laughs> over-muscled kind of thing. It, it hits on so many levels for me, and it's so wonderful. And it's a great, compact, single volume. I have the hardback um, of it, and it's fantastic for one secret reason. When you take the dust jacket off, there's the most amazing, just simple, almost like it's a block print cutout of the Hulk leaping through the sky, and it's my favorite image of the Hulk ever, inside the dust jacket of the hardback. It's just, I got the paperback. It's just there. I missed out. Totally hosed. If I have my wits about me, I will um, try to find that and put it uh, get the image for the show notes because it's just it's wonderful. Yeah. So um, that is a Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale collaboration, and they've done. Uh, we we just mentioned Batman Long Halloween is one of my favorite Batman stories. They were they they did that story, and uh, you mentioned Tim Sale's art. Does, did they do another Batman one? Uh, yeah, they've done a they've done a couple. Okay. Uh, Catwoman in Rome. They did. Um, I can't remember all of them, but they collaborate a lot. And Tim Sale's art is unique. Yes, <laughs> um, it's uh, very exaggerated. It's not realistic at all. It's not even like a hyper realism that we get in some comic art. It's uh, and it's it, like you said, it kind of needs to serve the story. Um, sometimes it gets forced into stories and it doesn't quite work. And they've done for Marvel a series that are called the Color Books, and Hulk Gray is one of them, where they try and uh, mm-hmm. distill some of the most iconic Marvel characters down to their essence. And in one telling there's Spider-Man blue, Hulk gray, Daredevil yellow, yellow and, and Captain, Captain America, America white, white, uh, which I think just barely finished. Yeah. And, and they've done, uh, they also did a Superman for all seasons, which is one of my oh, favorite Superman really stories nice. that they've, uh, that collaboration. 
uh, when they're trying to get to the essence of these characters can lead to some really uh, amazing storytelling. All right. My second pick. I'm going to depart. Third pick. Third pick. Third pick. Depart from superheroes. Uh, And I am going to choose a 1,334-page epic. Bone, the one volume. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's in my list because it's... (laughs) It's it's grand. Yes. Uh Bone, if you have children <laughs> in elementary school, you've seen this advertised in their scholastic flyers mm-hmm. that come home. Uh and it is an amazing story. Uh and it's something Jess Smith wrote and drew it, and it's think um Lord of the Rings, but with art that is closer to Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but not all the art. But, but not it's, all the art. But yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a, but the, the characters, the main or characters a Mickey Mouse that are called the Bones, um, <laughs> are just these simple uh, drawings. Like uh, you know, they're, they're they're just really. But they don't basic, look like anything else. Yeah, but they're just really basic figures that I would imagine started as a doodle that Jeff Smith mm-hmm. did. Um, that have been launched into this again Lord of the Rings esque fantasy world. And there's so many wonderful details, even as there's this grand adventure about a princess and a dragon and all these other things that are going on in this valley. But there's giant rat creatures. Yeah, there's, but there's little details like the main character, Bone, he loves Moby Dick. And he's always trying to tell other people, <laughs> Moby Dick is a really good book, guys. You should read Moby Dick. And everyone else is incredibly <laughs> bored by Moby Dick. And there's these rat creatures, uh, and most of which are really villainous and, and um, are you know the, these terrifying enemies. But there's these two that keep being on the uh, the edges and the outskirts of, of the adventure that just want to go get a quiche. <laughs> they just really want quiche. <laughs> like, uh, like one of them wants to bake a quiche and the other one is like, that's not a thing for a monster. To yeah. Eat. We're monsters. We don't eat quiche. And one of them's like, I just, and then he gets depressed. And he's like, is quiche good? <laughs> and they never get a quiche. It's like the tricks rabbit. Never getting tricks. Yeah. They're, they're comic relief, but they're great. They don't have names, do they? I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've read this. But they're, they're just the stupid rat creatures. Yeah. So yeah uh, but uh, th- this was released um, slowly across years, but now there's a one volume that collects all 1,300 pages of this Bone Epic. And actually, it was just announced that Jeff Smith is going to be doing one more addition to it. I think it's being called Bone Coda. Is that correct? Uh, something like yeah. that. Wow. And yeah, but he's doing one more story in the continuity and everything, and it's very exciting. <laughs> Um, but it's one that, uh, I'd heard about and I'd seen, but because it was so spread out, I'd never tried to get it. And then when they released the one volume, it's like, I need to read it. And I read it. It's worth it. It's so good. It is. Uh, I read it really quickly. Um, even though it's 1300 pages, it's hard to hold. Yes. But it's easy to read. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to give to a kid because you say, here is the biggest book ever. And, and it really I bet is. you can't read it. <laughs> but then it's it's a comic book, and they it's totally on their level. Like, they yeah. can get it. But you can also get more out of it as an adult or an, as an mm-hmm. adolescent. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's an all-ages comic, but by all ages, that does not mean for children. It is just wonderful for everyone, I think. And the, the art, I can't overstate it. I mean, this is such a good pick, um, and I want to poach a little bit on it. It's, it's that great old style, the pogo style that's in there. I mean, like the characters are in there, but it's so rich and it's, it's the, the visual humor is sophisticated. Like the, um, Carl Barks, Donald Duck stuff and Scrooge McDuck. I mean, it is, it's so easy to take a really quick look at it and dismiss it, but it's so much sophistication, even though it's really pretty silly at points. Oh man. What a great, I'm glad to hear that he's doing more of it. Whenever I read it, I always found every character's voice 
to be very distinct in my head. Like I could hear exactly what that voice sounded like every time, which I don't get out of every comic. Yeah, or every novel even, where like sometimes there's like you try and think back on what what defines the character and you don't know. Even mm-hmm. like, like we were just talking about um, a novel that Andrew and I both really like, but it's all plot, and we were talking about how the characters are kind of lame and interchangeable. Uh, like there's nothing distinctive <laughs> with Bone. Every single character is that character only, and you could not swap out lines of dialogue from one to the other at all because they're no. so distinctly and defined. So, but also if they were to you know adapt it, I would know how to direct a voice actor you know to the place I want for each of those characters. You know, like, the tone of their voice seems clear. I would imagine their voices, which I don't do often with comics. <laughs> Todd, did I take your cool. pick? Todd Mack? No, I have never read Bone. <laughs> okay. Do it. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll put it on the list and we'll read it for this <laughs> podcast and then I will. Oh, we might not try all 1,300 pages. <laughs> you made that mistake with Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, we tried to do 25 issues of comics. Which brings me to my next pick. <laughs> Which brings me to my next pick, which is Astonishing X-Men. <laughs> when I was choosing uh, Dark Phoenix, I was debating Astonishing X-Men or Dark Phoenix, going back and forth. Yeah, the, and they were both on my list. Um, this is Astonishing X-Men. It's Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, and it's astoundingly good. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, Go listen to I, our episode well, on it. I don't know that I'd recommend <laughs> We were early in our podcast today. That was our second episode. This is episode. one of our first. This is one of the first. This is one of the first podcasts that we did about. Uh, it's the first one that we did about a comic. Mm-hmm. We bit off way more than we could chew, <laughs> um, and we did like what sixteen issues, twenty five issues, Todd. Oh man, 20, we did so twenty five issues of this. Um, but it's a it's an amazing, beautiful story focused on Kitty Pride. Uh, it deals with the idea of finding a cure for the mutant gene. And there's great Wolverine stuff in there. Uh, there's great Kitty Pride stuff. It's just it's a it's a fantastic fantastic story. Really smart, funny. Everything you would expect from a Joss Whedon story is in here. And man, it is really good. It's really good. And it's really pretty to look at. John Cassidy can draw. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, he can draw. So uh, that's my that's my X Men pick, Astonishing X Men. Uh, no complaints for me. That is one of, uh, like I said, I, I was those are my two X Men stories that I was going back and forth on which one to pick, then Dark Phoenix or Astonishing. So I'm glad we got it in there. Well, if you had picked uh, Astonishing X Men, I would have picked Dark Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing Joseph didn't go for both. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, my my third pick is one that I'm fairly certain none of you have read. It's I'm going with the the Japanese. Market. It is a manga series. Uh, the whole thing, because it's it's all great, all 27 volumes, which is nine times what you guys read for <laughs> for Magic Knight Ray Earth. <laughs> so imagine that amount times nine. And and uh, it's called Full Metal Alchemist. It's... Full Metal... Will you spell Alchemist for us? Alchemist? Oh, Alchemist. Yeah. Yes. Okay. These are regular <laughs> words. something else. <laughs> No, Full Metal Alchemist, uh, it is a classic. If there is a manga canon, this is in there. Like, it is well-respected, well-regarded. It's been adapted into anime twice because they were doing it once while it was ongoing and they caught up, so they had to divert. And then after it finished, they made it again because it was really good. You know, like, if you read it, you'll understand how good it is. It's hard to explain... It, it, this is the, the magnum opus of the author, and it was her first work. <laughs> and it's just 
respected all around, well-received, and so highly regarded. Do you want cool. to know anything else about it? <laughs> I, Do you I, want to know what it's about? <laughs> or should yeah, I, just yeah, I would love good? to know what Qu- it's about. Stop, like, what is going on with these characters? Okay, so it's, um, think like the 19-teens in Europe is kind of the setting, okay. vaguely, but alchemy's real, so you can turn one thing into another thing, basically. You can, more or less, you just shift the substance around, but if it's similar enough, you can tweak the molecules. Okay. And so you can turn carbon into diamond and, and all of that stuff. And most of these guys are commissioned by the military and it's about their role in the military and also some plans for the discovery or creation of a philosopher's stone, the ultimate, you know, element of alchemy historically. And there's a lot of good philosophy. There's a lot of good interpersonal relationships and, and a study of how those work and, and how people build relationships and what they mean. And it's just great. And there's a lot of action, a lot of good action, good fighting, good, good characters. Yeah. Good characters. Great story. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. I, uh, I, I just have one thing to say about manga and it's that I've been drawing a lot lately. Like, I don't know. I think I'm losing my mind <laughs> and I need some outlet. Uh, but I've been drawing a lot and I found this guy on YouTube. His name is Mark Crilly and he writes uh, manga and he has hundreds of of like tutorial videos on drawing manga, like manga characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's awesome. And so I've been drawing tons of like little manga characters <laughs> and it's really fun. So anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in your full metal alchemist now. I'd say, you know, find a volume and see if it suits you. Cool. All right. Uh, so round three, we had Hulk gray bone, astonishing X-Men and full metal alchemist. Uh, much more varied round <laughs> than our first couple. Um, we're running a little low on time, and I know all of us had, besides our picks, we had lists lists of alternates and things where we were debating back and forth. So why don't we do uh, what Todd Mac usually calls our bring out the dead <laughs> round? Um, just uh, kind of a lightning round of listing some of the other ones uh, that we were thinking about mentioning. So uh, do you want to have individuals read their whole list, or do we want to go... I'd say just finish off your list. All right, Todd Peterson, why don't you tell us what else was under consideration? Well, Bone was under consideration as well, and uh, I just can wholeheartedly support that. Let me add to it one very, very traditional um, graphic novel that I've taught consistently, and my students love it. It's Craig Thompson's Blankets. Um, And this is one, before the big um, wash into... uh, Mainstream publication, Craig Thompson's uh, Blankets came out in 2003. So it was right on the, in the area when there was only things like Marjan Satrapi's, um, Persepolis, Mouse, and a few other things were in place. But this is like one of the most beautiful coming of age stories ever. I think it's, it's, uh, talks a lot in, in a very, very kind way about Christianity and about a person struggling with Christianity and doubts. Um, and it opens up in the most amazing way, this sort of um, beautiful visualization of spirituality, um, temptation and doubt. It's just really great. Um, and it's one of those things that I'm going to kind of push to my 14-year-old in a couple of years and just say, you know, this is a really great story about these kinds of rich relationships that people have when, when it's first love. Um, and it's fantastic. So um, that one by Craig Thompson. The only thing I would add to it is one that I have on deck, and literally I have it downloaded, and I'm ready to read. It's the Wonder Woman Earth One Origin. 
And I'd read about it on io9, and I sort of cross-referenced the reviews, and people were saying it's just one of the most interesting origin retellings of Wonder Woman. I'm excited to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I thought I would nominate it because it's one I have um, decided to make room for in my life. All right. Any other uh, titles that were kind of floating on the, the edge of your list? No, I think that wraps it up. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, a couple others, uh, a few superhero ones. Runaways, which is a it's, Marvel series. It's on my list. Uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn. Do you remember who did the art on the original Ooh, arc? I can't remember I don't. off the top of my head. Um, but this is a story of some teenagers who discover that their parents are supervillains. <laughs> and they run away. <laughs> After they they discover that, and they each have didn't uh, didn't Ramos do some of the art on Runaways? I, I uh, he a, did that in another series. So Runaways has been restarted maybe half a dozen times. Yeah, with I think a fresh numbering, and he did it when I want to say Terry Moore was. I was going to say Joss Whedon. Uh, no, he didn't do it with Whedon. He did it right after Whedon. Okay, because Joss Whedon wrote one of the arcs for for Runaways as well. But I just love the concept of uh, some teenagers. Finding out the parents are, are supervillains and, and they run away and they all have, um, some powers that they have inherited in, from their parents. Um, and they didn't really know about these powers, uh, until the night that they discovered their parents are supervillains. Um, I had Batman Hush on my list as well as The Long Halloween. That was my list. I was going back and forth on those. Those were my Batman picks. <laughs> uh, Miss Marvel that we talked about was one that I'd written down. Yeah, she was on mine. Yeah. Um, there's one, I, I'm guessing most of you might not have heard about this, but there's a Justice League miniseries called I Can't Believe It's Not the Justice League. <laughs> I I've never heard of it. Which is, uh, it's uh, Kevin Maguire and, oh, suddenly I'm blanking on the writer. I think Kevin Maguire is the artist. Um, but it's, it's kind of a comedic take on B-level DC comic superheroes that for a while were part of the Justice League, but when... Uh, there's a writer named Grant Morrison who, like, redefines the Justice League as, like, the big seven of, like, the biggest, most popular and iconic DC mm-hmm. superheroes. And this is kind of, like, what the life of these other B-level characters that have floated like through the Justice League. Who, who, Blue Beetle, okay. uh, Booster Gold. Okay, um, so th- <laughs> those B-levelers. Yes. <laughs> Fire and Ice, I think, are in there. Okay. It's yeah. like all these guys are making from it. Brave and the Bold series, the animated series. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. A lot of brave and the bold types. They these characters are uh, appearing in the current Justice League three thousand and one. Okay. Series. So I guess they're doing that as a nod to this. Yeah, probably. Uh, I had jotted down Ultimate Spider Man as one to think about. I, that whole run is is pretty amazing. Yeah. And then uh, more. Uh, these are not all ages, but there's two. Watchmen probably needs to be mentioned. It's not an all age title by any means. <laughs> Pulling bone. Uh, and also Fables, which is another one that's not an all age title by any means, uh, but is. Really fantastic. Um, the creators of Fables have uh, expressed that they're a little miffed because uh, they had their series optioned for television and it wasn't picked up. And then the next year, two networks that had looked at it made Grimm and Once Upon a Time, which uh-huh. is a lot of the concept of Fables, which is about all the fairy tale mm. creatures living in New York City uh, in modern <laughs> time and hiding out from the normal people. <laughs> That are all around them. Uh, It's a little more adult in a lot of its storytelling, but there's this one long arc that goes through, like, 70 issues that there's this, like, the mini arcs that are happening, but there's always the backbone of this threat of... Uh, this villain coming from the fairy tale land to take over, mm-hmm. and it's uh, all of that building towards that culmination is is one of my favorite long form storytelling arcs in comics. So those are some others that I'd written down, but I'm happy with the three that I picked. Okay, um, I have I had a, a quite a list of things that I've really enjoyed. So I also just wanted to mention Giant Size X Men number one. I think it's really 
great uh, and a great way to get into those um, older uh, X-Men comics. Um, I also had Ms. Marvel. The new run of Inhumans I think is really good, uh, and it kind of ties in with Ms. Marvel at different times. Uh, Mouse Guard that we talked about early in the in the yeah. podcast mm-hmm. last year, we talked about Mouse Guard is super good. Uh, Civil War mm-hmm. is um, is a really I think it's a really strong story. Uh, I really like it. It's appropriate this time of year, this year, uh, 2016. <laughs> um, also, um, House of M uh, X is an X Men story in which uh, the what's her name Scarlet, Scarlet Witch Scarlet Witch uh, like fulfills everyone's wishes. Sort of, <laughs> she like creates a reality in which everybody gets sort of what they always wanted, and then uh, Wolverine realizes that that's kind of messed up. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, has helps everybody wake up. Uh, Planet Hulk, which we talked about earlier this year, um, which is really good. There's a series called Black Sad, and this is I don't. This is like maybe the one thing that I know that you guys don't. It's a uh, banda de cine. It's French, right? It is French. It's by, uh, but it's by two Spanish authors, Juan Diaz Canales and Juanjo Guarnido. <laughs> and these guys were Disney artists, and then they decided to uh, make this comic and it's all animals it's a noir f- story uh, and black set is the is the main character and he is a black cat and he's also a detective the art is amazing i've seen uh, art from also, it and it is very good it's uh, it's really 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 good it's also um not for all ages <laughs> um and so <laughs> you might uh I mean, I would say be careful like going into it. Uh, it covers some adult themes, but man, the art is is, is really uh, astounding. And if you really are into noir, um, then you'll you'll probably like Black Sad. Uh, and then I just wanted to put in a plug for the new Star Wars stuff. I am a total sucker for um, canon, <laughs> like Star Wars canon. I just I'm fascinated by this this idea that there's like a bunch of people in a room somewhere. Uh, and they they get to decide what is is now Star Wars canon and what isn't, and they're churning out just tons of uh, stories. So there's novels, uh, but there's also all these great comics, and there is a series of comics that cover the time period between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and it's uh, like Han, Luke, and Leia just on all these crazy adventures, and it's really fun to read. And I, I get, I don't know, I get some like strange satisfaction out of reading something and, and knowing like, this is the official story. So, (laughs) (laughs) so they, they actually did go and, uh, raid the munitions, uh, plant and, and, and run into Darth Vader and have a crazy adventure there. And anyway, it's pretty cool. So that's good stuff. And that, and all that um, Marvel stuff is on the Star Wars stuff is on Marvel Unlimited. I had on my list of things that have not yet been discussed. Cause I had to cross off a few. Uh, the current run of vision is really excellent in Marvel. Uh, I lent it to Joseph and, and he read it and found it to be as good as people say. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's not a superhero story. Yeah. It, it's vision. The Android from age of Ultron. If you remember him, uh, he decides he wants to try and live a normal suburban life. And he builds a wife and two teenage kids. And they try and move into a <laughs> suburb and it's all the... It's not going great. Yeah, it's not going great. It's all the it, difficulty in integration. There's prejudice. There, I, but it's it feels almost like um, a, a Twilight Zone or Hitchcock. It's yes. kind of what it feels like. Oh, Hitchcock would be a good... Yeah. yeah. Um, I also had Young Avengers, uh, Generation X, and Exiles, which are things that Joseph lent me when I was younger. Um, but always have a soft spot. 
in my heart. Identity Crisis is a great little series from DC. Then Earth X is another uh, Marvel one, which is really high concept and yeah. hard to explain. It tries to make sense of the lot 70 of years of Marvel continuity that happened at that point and make it all fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. But it was done in like 2000. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's missing another 16 years of continuity. Um, and New X-Men, which is Grant Morrison's run on the X-Men, mm-hmm. um, is is rock solid. I also had a, a series called Rust, which is something that I just, I just really enjoy. It's not too, you know, heady or anything. It's fairly simple, but it's really What's enjoyable. It uh, a rocket boy. <laughs> okay. There's, there's like a the kid. Is a rocket or <laughs> no? The kid has a rocket. Uh, a kid with a rocket, okay. but he might be a robot. <laughs> yeah, and things like that. And it's a little bit steampunk. Uh, and and I just really enjoy it. And and the colors, the the art is really really nice. I like what he does with the colors. I also had Boxers and Saints and American Born Chinese. All oh, those are both really on my list. Yeah. Um, Good and call. they they were near the top. And I lean towards Boxers and Saints maybe a little bit more, uh, yeah. but. Both theories are really, really excellent. Yes. And I, I think American Born Chinese is on our list to get to. Yeah. And, and Jean Lu and Yang is really good. And, and wasn't he named like the Library of Congress ambassador, ambassador to, to, to youth or something? Or something. Yeah. 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 Something like pretty prestigious. Yeah. He's, he's, and I've, I've, I'm friends with him on some social media. And so I see him. He's, he's just going around to libraries and classrooms all day. He, he came to the Orem Public Library one time, and I wasn't able to make it, and I was really upset. He just seems to go around the country just asking kids to read. And he started it as <laughs> and a zine. Wow. He, he did it. It was DIY, and that's what I love so much about that. And he's uh, he's writing Superman comics now. Yeah. So he's up there. <laughs> yep. All right, so hopefully, uh, listener Henry and anyone else, you now have a large list of comics that would be worth uh, reading. Just real quick, we have previous episodes that talk about, um, let's see here, Astonishing X-Men, Infinity Gauntlet, All-Star Superman, Mouse Guard, Mouse, uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15, that's the Spider-Man origin story, which uh, Todd was mentioning how perfect the Hulk origin story is. A lot of those 1960s Marvel characters, they nailed those origins in their 15 to 20 pages that they were given, and the Spider-Man origin is also one of the most perfect, concise origins ever written, I think. Um, let's see, we did a serious Polyp, Marvel's, Court of Owls, Gunder Creek Court, Planet Hulk, Magic Knight, Ray Earth, and Miss Marvel are, uh, oh, and 1602 is the last one we did, are the previous podcasts that we've done on comic books. And I hope you've gotten the taste that we haven't even begun to scrape into the barrel of comic books that would be worth discussing. <laughs> and so uh, as we carry on, you'll hear regularly us talking about comics. Probably many of these. Yes, <laughs> from this list. Okay, well, that uh, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. It helps uh, both with our listenership and our feelings of self-worth. Uh, thanks, uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's where you can also find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod. Uh, at Todd K. Mack and at Jay Dorowski. Andrew is at uh, Andrew underscore Dorowski. And Todd Peterson, you are at Todd Peterson, S-E-N. 
Yep. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Uh, if you like the show and would like to support us financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You want to, if you want to buy a topic for us to discuss and, or just show your appreciation for the show with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And we would remind you that we, all of our patrons also get access to our quick casts, which are uh, shorter episodes where we discuss, um, newly released stuff trailers and films. Uh, and finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30 day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. I think we maybe lost him. I think we lost him. (laughs) What's that movie from? Because that sounded like... His mic is down. Oh, his mic is... Is he sending you a message? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Could he hear us? (laughs) Does he know that we're concerned about his well-being?